Welcome back to Discursion. My name is Stephen Roberts. My name is Dominic Lash. And we are on episode 17. And Are we really on episode 17? We are. We are. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. Double digit, well into the double digits. So much quality discussion. I know, I know. And we're going to continue that with today's film, which is Medium Cool, 1969. Cinema Verite film directed by Haskell Wexler. Considered now to be uh, a key film in American cinema of the 1960s and the counterculture and also the kind of transnational reception of the French New Wave. Like you're still feeling that, you know, in this film very much. And mm-hmm. there are some overt references, aren't there, to French cinema as well. Um, and it's now been re-released on, on Blu-ray. Um, so the general concept of this podcast, just a reminder, is that we kind of delve into our physical media, home, physical home media. Uh, this was my pick this week. So I'd invite you, Dominic, to tell me what you think of this, because I'm kind of familiar with the film already. So how did you find it? Did you like it? <laughs> yeah, actually, I, should, I, I will just say in passing, I, I noticed, actually, I mean, when we're recording this, this podcast on the 15th of uh, May, there was a tweet from... Um, is it Masters of Cinema who released the the Blu-ray recently, saying they've they their rights for uh, releasing it have expired? So I think they're they're not going to be re re whatever the word is re, reprinting repressing. So if you're yeah, if this podcast makes you intrigued in the film and you want to buy it, you should probably act sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll be putting my copy on eBay. I'm quite attached to it. Um, yeah, it's an intriguing. I mean, should we? Again, and the our other the thing about the podcast that we should probably say is we uh, to make our lives easy is we make no effort to avoid any things that might be considered spoilers. I'm afraid. So um, yes, if you're interested in the film but would n- not like to have things revealed that perhaps get revealed later on, perhaps go away and watch it now and then come back. Um, uh, yeah, I liked it. I liked it more the the second time I watched it, which is uh, interesting. I mean, should we do a should we do a quick outline of what it of the of the narrative just very just very briefly? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I can do it. I mean, I, I mean, just very quickly. It has, um, yeah. It sort of follows a um, um, a, a TV news news cameraman um, and also his sound man. But I think his sound man is a sort of secondary secondary character um, and. He's a sort of, in many ways, an un- unlikable character, and his relationships with women, I think, are sort of represented in such a way as they're. I think we're assumed to. It's assumed that we'll take them as problematic, right? That's that. That's, or at least his earlier relationships with women. That's not something we can we can simply sort of write off to the to the fact that it's made in in the late nineteen sixties. Um, but. I mean, I suppose they're sort of sort of two strands, aren't there? So his so there's there's this character, um, and yes, yeah, sort of things going on with his work, and there's sort of a whole sort of explicitly kind of thematized theme about the ethics of documentary filmmaking or of you know news news filmmaking and what it means to document reality and if that's an intervention in it and if if you should or shouldn't intervene with it. In fact, yeah, one of his girlfriends at one point has a story about um, a film of of turtles 
um, on some island getting getting confused and ending up walking away from the sea and then they would if you know end up dying and she's sort of like I bet you wouldn't e even turn them round <laughs> if you were there which made me think incidentally I don't know if this is a completely tangential thing have you seen um Blade Runner <laughs> Not Blade Runner, actually, on a, on a different, in a different uh, uh, cinematic um, direction. I was thinking of the uh, the Kiristami film, uh, The Wind Will Carry Us. Yes, I have. Yes. You know, there's the, that bit there where he where where there's a turtle because because he he's also he's also a TV. Well, he's not a cameraman, but he's a TV producer, and and he he sort of leaves this turtle, but then comes back and turns it over onto its. I I just wondered if if that was an explicit. Uh, intertextual reference. <laughs> could it could well be, couldn't it? Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that's one. That's what. So the, the the sort of plot sort of strand involves that, but then involves him uh, meeting meeting a relatively young woman who's who's a, who's a single mother, um, because he comes upon uh, a homing pigeon of, of 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 her son, and so yeah, and she's someone who's come from from the deep south and yeah, was a teacher there, but then is in. Is in um, is in Chicago and sort of unable to work as a teacher. So there's a so there's a developing relationship between them, which is sort of different from his previous relationships with women. But then there's also the fact that it's set at the time of the Democratic National Convention in 1968 in in, in August, which was in, in, you know famous famously violent with the uh, interventions of, of the police against all the. Uh, the protesters that that had gathered in Chicago on the occasion of of the protest, and so actual footage of 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 that um, of those events are sort of interwoven with the explicitly explicitly documentary um, footage, and those two kind of strands kind of come together at the end. But I, I suppose the one of the things that's often remarked about, it's particularly intriguing, is it's not a case of like one might expect the more I don't know straightforward way that one might expect these things to have been done would have been to for a a bunch of as it were fictional footage to have been taken and some yeah as it were non-fictional footage to have been taken and then those 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 things to have been ed edited together into a you know into a fictional film with a documentary element but actually there's footage of the actors from the films actually walking through the events uh which were happening in chicago so it's more complicated than that isn't it yes absolutely you're you're seeing um there there is a narrative thread that's maintained we're talking about the kind of final third of the film really where the character of eileen who's the school teacher we've mentioned is is looking for her lost son and that is is i suppose partly a narrative device and it makes it seem less like the police riots and the protest has been thrown in just for some kind of political point making, you know, that, that, that it's kind of her, she has a reason to be there. So, so there's, a, there's a storytelling being, being blended with events that are unfolding yeah. while the production is happening. So at the same time, they're not quite sure, although they have this framework for the story, you know, she's looking for her son, they're not quite sure what is going to happen um th there are murmurings of course that, that it, it may well be quite a violent um event and i suppose there is the fear that 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 might happen but also a slight excitement like an artistic excitement that they might capture something mm. 
fresh, which is very much in the kind of cinema verite uh, wheelhouse, isn't it? Uh, so, so, so yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I think it's probably worth because yeah, you know, you mentioned cinema verite a couple of times, which which makes a lot of sense. But it's worth saying something I think about fairly early on about the aesthetics of the film because it's um, it strikes me, and it particularly struck me watching it for a second time how how carefully composed it is um it's you know there could have been decisions in the filmmaking to have signified more clearly a sort of sense of reality and a lack of aesthetic sort of balance you know just a camera kind of caught up in in the events and sort of unable to frame things you know quote unquote sort of beautifully um but i don't think that there's an element of that. I mean, yes, there are things in you know, towards the end of the film where where the police are, are are attacking the protesters and the cameraman is clearly actually you know moved around. But um, but there's also I don't know. I think also it's um, like one thing would be the treatment of color. I mean, the treatment of color is so careful, and 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 at, at the end, precisely when she's she's walking walking through things, and she's in this yellow dress. Um, yes. But also, there are like very formal sort of tracking shots, you know, following her following her her to the left as she's walking through things. So yeah, there's there's also a lot of I don't really like the word formalism. I'm not sure it's very helpful, but you know, there's there's sort of yeah, very very deliberately formal aspects to the filmmaking, which one might. One might be surprised by if you if you came upon the film having been told that it was uh, meant to look like a documentary or sort of um, you know very much in its in cinema verite, yes, um, in style. Absolutely, certainly. There's a roughness to the handheld camera work. You know, this is before Steadicam, uh, but it's it is a scripted uh, piece. You know, and there are cues in the film to help. Waxler, who's the cinematographer as well as the director, track the, the characters, you know, so they are thinking in terms of composition and um, every film is edited, right? So there's also that manipulation at, at the end. And I noticed that, that the edits are actually highly controlled and actually mm. the editor uh, was was very keen on match cuts, I noticed. So there's a lot of match right. cuts yes. um, to, I guess, flow from one image to another. So there's an example right. of the young boy who has a flashback to a time when his father was still in his life and they are practicing shooting this bottle of Jim Beam on a wrecked car with a rifle, you know. And then we, we linger on the car and then we cut from that car to the news newsman's car uh, in Chicago, yeah, uh, which is, again, as being the match cut, is also ominous, isn't it? Because yeah. of the ending of the film, which involves the, the crashing of, of his car. So Verderfield's editor of looking her, at her work, Jaws, American Graffiti. So, you know, a very prominent figure. No, there are all sorts of fascinating, yeah, I mean, yeah, to go into the, yeah, that other work. I mean, it's noticing that, you know, that Haskell Wexler was the, was the cinematographer on, um, on Kazan's America, America, you know, about five years before, or five, six years before. Yeah. This. That's, that's the, all sorts of interesting threads one could draw out there. But yeah, the, ba- yeah, so the whole, const- it, it also struck me very much, yes, yeah, since we're talking about, the, the sort of elements of kind of balance and yeah sort of very explicit sort of or uh, deliberate aesthetic planning and structuring um that was also something that particularly struck me on the second viewing how 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 very carefully the beginning and ending of the film rhyme you know because the film starts with uh 
um, our protagonist and his sound man coming coming upon a um, uh, a wrecked, you know, I mean a, a car accident, and yeah, and they're taking lots of lots of footage of the car accident, and then of course the sort of the it's not quite the joke. I'm not quite sure how you describe it, but the the sort of the sort of punchline is that then just before they drive off, they then go, yeah, we should probably phone for an ambulance, and yes, yeah, so it's a. Uh, um, I mean, this film is is very complex. In in some ways, it's often not very subtle, <laughs> which is a different. But yeah, I mean, and that's a theme that's been explored more recently in a film like Nightcrawler. I was thinking of, you know, the, um, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal. But uh, yeah, so there's that. But but there's um, and the film ends with a car crash, as, as you said, and even you know you 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 have close ups on a um, on a a smashed uh, windscreen, and so there's a yeah there are. Um, there are very deliberate sort of rhymes of the beginning and, and, and the end. It has some kind of um, um, formal balance. I'm not quite sure what to conclude from that. I mean, someone can get, sort of notice that it's there. I'm not quite sure what we're meant to take away from that. Yes, um, I suppose uh, one can, can, if you, you know, one obvious sort of complaint uh, one could make is that the films. Uh, formalism means that its realism is some kind of fakery you know uh but this is a a uh not a very productive argument because we know there are multiple realisms anyway so 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 right, so what is the truth <laughs> yes um, well the question that i i wanted to yeah to, to ask you actually not in terms of a fakery but um sort of one way one could watch the film and i suspect in perhaps a way that it asks to be watched uh or, or that it could be read as asking you to watch it is is that one needs to keep asking oneself not sort of is this real is this fake but in what sense is this real you know in what sense okay what am i i mean so you have to think about how it's being made you know so it seems so, sort of relevant to um it's not just a sort of an extra piece of knowledge that one could take further to know that it's um, that it's documentary documentary footage in a sense of the of the events around the Democratic National Convention. That seems something the film is expecting you to know, um, and that's all very interesting. But yeah, my 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 question is: Do you think it's also potentially distracting? Or is that just you know sort of is that just the what the film is the film is doing is is asking us to engage with it in these ways or is it is the virtuosity such that actually um, there are other ways of engaging with the film but that it's that one could sort of conceive but it's quite hard to to get you know to get through to them because you feel you have to be talking about well who was an actor and who who wasn't and 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 and, and how was this made does that make sense yes um i guess i guess wexler's working quite self-consciously in that tradition of cinema verite which is an artistic movement isn't it it's not it's not purely a uh an approach to reality it's also interested in creativity and I don't think the film is yet ashamed of that at all. It kind of works for me because the film is partly about responsibility. Um, the responsibility we have to each other, 
in, in communities. We see characters often debating this. And particularly mm -hmm. the, the question is asked of people that have controls over uh, media, right? So the means of kind of reproducing reality to show to the masses, you know, their version of the story. Um, mm. And I, th I think the film has to be quite forceful um, in its aesthetic to kind of capture those those kind of different viewpoints, so direct address to camera, or uh, maybe contrast is really important as well. So the contrast of the mother lost in this very violent protest, or those mm. kind of parallel edits that happen between the the convention where everything is all. Not going swimmingly, but very, um, you know, uh, rigidly, and the the chaos outside. Um, so a bit of montage there <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. So I'm not quite sure if I could have answered your question, but I don't. No, I don't. No, no. I mean, it's, I think it's... the film is successful in what I view to be its political objectives. Um, yeah, I I think I just feel I'm not. I think it's really fascinating because it's it's really complicated. But I think it doesn't for me. It doesn't work as well. It doesn't. There are problems here which I don't find with a film like, in a, I don't know, Chronicle of a Summer or something, right? And that there's sort of because that is so. Uh, you know, because the sort of solution taken there is that it it literally talks about itself, and so that is the sort of subject of the film. Um, but this film, yeah, it's it's remarkable. I mean, I don't really think it's 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 not like anything else I've seen. I mean, it's like in certain respects, but you know what I mean. You know, we we use that phrase, <laughs> um, uh, and so it wouldn't it wouldn't be the film it was if these things weren't true. Um, but I somehow, yeah. So, so I, I I agree with you. I don't want to say it's un unsuccessful. That 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 seems wrong. But I do. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's very hard to express. It's, it sort of does this thing which is remarkable, and that's what, and, and precisely this sort of blending is what makes it remarkable. But I have a feeling that there's another feel, well, there's another way of engaging with it once we've dealt with all that. And it, obviously it has to be talked about, you know, but we could talk about all that and then, you know, if we were teaching a course on this film or something, and then sort of digest it, but then it wouldn't have to be the only thing to talk about. There's a lot more to talk about. But also I then... I sort of find it hard to imagine how you get to that point, you know? <laughs> it would always be so easy to be brought back to asking those questions. Because it, it does want to be engaged with, clearly, as a, as a, as a fictional narrative as well. I mean, it, it doesn't work, I don't think, if you simply see the characters as sort of ciphers. And I think it's quite interesting. I mean, I think sort of some of the acting is a little bit kind of limited, but I think the... Um, you know, particularly Eileen uh, Werner Bloom, I, I think he's great, and I think Robert Forster. Um, it's yes, sort of nice to see him having just just been rewatching the uh, third season of Twin Peaks, just <laughs> so to, to see him as as a, as a much younger man. All 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 that stuff is yeah is um, is really fascinating, and I find also I want to talk about those in ways which don't necessarily mean that the main subject has to be who is an actor and who wasn't, but. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, maybe, yeah, the only way to do that would just be to sort of talk about the film for a very long time. You know? <laughs> but... Yeah, for sure. It's interesting that um, the 
maybe I'm opening another can of worms here, but the main character was meant to be played by, well, John Cassavetes, mm. who has made his career on films about um, the concept of performance and films that are regarded to be highly realist in style, such as Shadows, are this kind of awkward blend of non-professional actors and um, intervention on the part of of Cassavetes, who, you know, mythically allowed his actors free reign. Um, Mm. You know, mythically, Mm. it was an entirely cooperative kind of filmmaking process where people jumped on the camera at random points, but actually he had a lot of control over that process. And maybe maybe um, Wexler's film is covering similar territory in terms of how do how do these characters perform kind of in front of one another, uh, particularly in different uh, areas of Chicago. So we see that encounter between uh, the Robert Forster character and the black community in Chicago when he goes down there f- to do like a, like a, hu- what do you call like a human interest story? And, yeah. Which is one of my favorite uh, scenes. Resistance, resistance to this, right? Mm. Uh, but no, he's there, think... he's insisting on his performance as a professional, like I'm a professional TV man here. Like yes. I'm not trying to exploit you. And they're trying to convince him that he's, he's, he's bound up with something. He doesn't understand that he is someone yeah. else you know entirely i mean that whole scene is so fascinating and again it has these formalistic so it has the things where the characters as you, i think as you said earlier you know, it has bits in that scene where where characters are speaking directly into the camera which we see which is i mean that's another thing of course which doesn't um having said it's sort of a documentary or has a documentary style or a cinema verite style and as our protagonist it is a cameraman but i think we we almost never or perhaps never see the footage that he's taking i mean it's all it's all filmed but so again there's that interesting relationship of the fit of the sort of or what kind of of diegesis it has because we're seeing something that looks like it could have been shot by another cameraman um but it's not shot by the cameraman who we're who, who we're watching which i i i i think yeah i think actually works extremely well it's one of those sort of things which if you were to stop and think about it in 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 what I think would be the wrong way, in a sort of slightly too literal-minded way, you might think, "Well, this doesn't sort of make sense." You know, you know who's meant, who is a cameraman meant to be? But I, I almost feel, yeah, it's, it's it, it has that effect that, you know, how, how often for all the interesting theorizing that there's been about, you know, what the camera sort of does in in film and what it represents and what sort of position of the viewer it creates etc etc but how much of it is actually to do with it with what we're watching yeah. so there is some sense to which actually it feels perfectly logical to be watching a cameraman in in such a way that what you're seeing is the kind of stuff that he's shooting but of course it can't be because you're seeing him in in the images like that it only starts to seem illogical when you stop and, and start to talk about it i think whereas actually in the experience of watching the film i find at least it makes perfect sense yeah It'd be interesting to, I agree about that, that kind of uh, doubling of perspective. And I think we are wrong-footed intentionally sometimes where mm. it seems, particularly at the National Convention actually, where uh, Robert Forster has the camera on his shoulder, a mm. shot might begin and it seemed to be from his perspective and actually it isn't because then he enters the shot. Yeah. So it might be one, if we were teaching this on a course, it might be interesting mm. to teach this in relation to a viewpoint. I mean, you could take a, like a Hitchcock yeah. film as well. I'm sure that'd be really, right. really productive. Uh, that's yes. what we've done before. Um, mm. But it'd be interesting to kind of 
maybe start a scene and pause it and say, okay, whose viewpoint is this, you know, at this mm. point in time and then continue playing and then say, okay, right. what, how would you classify this kind of mode of narration? Because it's part of sure. the viewpoint is, is not just the, the technique, it's entirely the, the politics of the film, like who's from whose viewpoint do we see this? And mm. is there a problem with that? And it feels like the film is constantly trying to give you, give you double, uh, give you multiple perspectives, right. Or kind of, Mm. um com- complicated viewpoint um not yes. not avoid it entirely of course no, um, no. but but I mean, to that make fascinating... you ask questions about it yeah sure i mean it's that fascinating <laughs> thing that the the, the the yeah the, the, the sort of literal and the the more metaphorical meanings of 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 a word like viewpoint absolutely that it that it can mean you know literally where are you seeing something from and of course it means metaphorically it does mean more like your it's actually hard to talk about it without using those metaphors. Right? I was going to say it means your perspective on something, but again, that's another, you know, you yeah. know, you know, your your attitude towards something. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that that's just a thing that film, fiction, film in general works with really interestingly. It's just a kind of basic fact about 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 sort of choices about where to put the camera and where to move the camera. That that in pretty much every film, they one could talk about them in terms of these kind of questions. But obviously, in this film, they're particularly politically charged and yeah yeah phrased yeah another complication um uh, might be the fact that the film is about television uh oh yeah yeah. so you know do we do we need to think in in those terms as what what what's the terminology for a 1960s news cameraman you know is it different to film and are we seeing televisions throughout because that's like the reference point that wexler was to talk to us about and um Mm you know that he's trying to trying to counter you know the, the static image of the news anchor the highly formatted Absolutely. you know yes. news at 6 10 12 and there's even really interesting things about time which i now, now i yeah another thing i've been interested in getting your sense of when you know so there you know there's a scene when um yeah john who's robert forster's character when john and eileen are watching um martin luther king junior's uh yeah, mountaintop speech, right? Which so that was that was delivered the day before he he was assassinated. So I think it's the third of April, nineteen sixty-eight, and then he was assassinated on the fourth. But when do you think they're watching that? <laughs> because I wasn't right. It seems like it, I wasn't clear. It could be that they were that it was. I don't know if it was broadcast live. I haven't checked that, but you know. So they're watching a live broadcast. It could be that it's a rebroadcast immediately in the wake of his death. As some kind of, or are they watching it? If if this is if if the time span of the film is 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 much more compressed, so you know the convention is in in August, is it a few months after his death, um, or does it matter? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think the film is clear on that. We know it's nighttime when they're watching it. I think the point is more that it kind of invades the home and it's available. And it's probably repeatedly broadcast, so it becomes difficult to say at what point in time they're watching it, doesn't it? Mm. Like you say, it could be rebroadcast. And the point of this argument, maybe, that I'm interpreting the film is making is that the news media is kind of on a loop all the time. Right. And it's kind of quite seductive. And it's so available, mm. whereas a film has a kind of finite right. Existence. Yeah, but one could yes, one could also take it that they're just interesting things to do. What it means to be contemporary, because because clearly it's relevant that it's a 
at the very most, you know, they can't be watching it later than August of that year. So it's only a few months ago. But then on the other hand, yes, it is this, like you say, this sort of looping present sort of when it's so in, in some sense, it's now in a sense that if we watch that footage now, it's definitely not now. But it's it's possible that it's as it were, literally now, it could be alive. I, I, I mean, I need to watch the film a few more times, but I wasn't clear that it wasn't obvious that... Um, yeah, yeah. so that, that the relevance of time to these issues of, of sort of, uh, I don't know, political action, political consciousness, representation, etc., etc., yeah, all seem quite interesting. Could I? Could we? Well, we should probably watch a sequence in a in a minute. Could could yeah, we yeah. talk just very briefly about the title? And that might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because it's medium cool. So it's this. It's supposedly, it's a, it's a, you know, explicitly some kind of allusion to Marshall McLuhan, because um, he published Understanding Media in 1964, and it has a chapter there on media hot and cold, which I went into and looked up um, in preparation for the podcast it's very strange i don't know if you've read it i haven't read it from cover to cover but it's very hot in media theory at the moment as well it's still work that's being used in the digital age people are very interested in it right it's um, very it's a i found it a re- i mean i i just read the chapter specifically you know yeah it's, it, it's a sec- it's the second chapter of the book but he sort of yeah, it's really i don't know i can see why it's both sort of intriguing and and uh sort of perplexing because he's he starts off sort of he kind of assigns all sorts of mediums to being hot and cold and it seems like a hot medium is where well, he, he says things like high definition is the state of being well filled with data um so a sort of so a hot medium seems to be one which sort of swallows you up in it whereas whereas a cold a cold medium is one where you have to do much more to fill in the gaps but he makes his assertion so like Radio is a hot medium, and and the telephone is a cold medium. The movie, which is relevant to this film, definitely movie, movie is a hot medium, whereas TV is, is apparently a cool one. But then he goes on to talk about um, he claims that writing is a hot medium, and that there are all sorts of things that don't that seem potentially to contradict <laughs> one another as well. Then he moves on to talking about sort of hot and cool jazz, which he appears to sort of think that he can talk about it in the same terms. But I'm like. I mean, he doesn't stop and say this. I'm like, hold on. So, because of course, you know, hot and cool jazz were terms which were contemporaneous, or I mean, they're much older. But I'm like, so hold on. So, so cool jazz is jazz where you have to fill in more of the gaps. I'm like, hold on. This seems t- to be different uses of the terms hot and cool. So it's a, uh, it's got all these sort of in, in, intriguing claims, but also uh, problematic ones, or at least it's it's not anyway. But it's clearly. Um, something that the, the title is explicitly you know alluding to yeah but again sure. then there's also a there's also some kind of pun right so there's one you know because it's not it's not called cool medium in which case that would be more straightforward but you know by putting medium first it also implies sort of medium you know it implies like a, a sort of goldilocks thing you know it's medium cool as opposed to as opposed to sort of too cold or or too hot <laughs> absolutely I don't think we should read too much into it. Um, I think the key thing is probably that Marshall McLuhan was talking about how we need to study media as as objects that we actually shape what we're seeing, as opposed to just studying the the kind of output, the subject itself. So that is something I think the film is interested in: the question of format. Mm. Um, as TVs repeatedly recur, you know, throughout 
in terms of the actual theoretical reference, I don't know. I've kind of read interviews with Wexler. I'm not even sure if he's, I don't think he's like particularly au fait with the, uh, <laughs> the theory itself. It's like probably suggested no. by someone else. But um, I actually just think it is a really good title. Yeah, and it's it's um, it's quite alluring, maybe also for for media theorists that that involvement and participation is entirely what McLuhan is is kind of writing about. But maybe we should read uh, in in the kind of the spirit rather than the letter, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, what other ways you know could you interpret this title? The, the idea that you need to qualify the term "cool," uh, given mm. it's set in the '60s, you know, and you have rock and roll you also have the hippie movement and you have peace the peace core the kind of zappa song that features in the, in, in the film as well so this idea you need to it's not as simple as just saying be cool man you know anymore there's a lot there's a lot of uh there's a lot more no uh, to discuss <laughs> do you know what i mean no no I'm, i mean i mean there's ex- explicit sarcasm i mean having the i mean having the zappa again that's another thing where there's no amb- ambiguity there i mean that's yes it's, you know, the, the, the attitude in that song to you know to hippie pretensions yeah, yeah. is 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 entirely unambiguous it feels like the film is also maybe defending itself against this i mean it got an x rating i think it's the accusation that it's just mm. like made by a load of drug adult adult long hairs right uh, but the yeah. film is you know zappa was a uh, was was misinterpreted and misunderstood in that way as well but um you know this was a heavy this is a heavy kind of issue i mean the film is released in 69 it's like i don't know the exact date but it's around the time of the manson murders in los angeles mm-hmm. as well um you know, oh, there's yeah, so much going on, but but that's, yeah, I mean, I, that's, I think that's and good... he's like the you know the pro, the the like the was like uh, one of the kind of death knells, I guess, of like uh, the media's yeah. representation of, of hippies. You know, uh, <laughs> sure, um, yeah. Well, there, is but, there, yeah, there is a is, is there a loss of innocence or, or an innocence which or an or an uncovering of the pretensions of a supposed innocence which never was. I mean, I, I like I think it's sort of implication of what you just said. I, I like also the idea that. Yeah, that one can also take take the title again. This is, sort of goes back to my question of, of of the role or or the potential distractingness of these questions of of media that one can also take the title, read the title in in political terms, which which don't necessarily have anything to do with them um, to to do with questions of TV. I mean, of course, it has that as well, but yeah, it also has a question. Yeah, it it, it relates more sort of straightforwardly to the themes right. of the forms of political consciousness, which one should yeah try and cultivate it yeah yeah because the film has things to say about musical performance clearly as well not it might not be as um strongly <laughs> expressed mm. but it's interested in other other ways of communicating isn't it as well yeah um should we maybe take some of these ideas and see whether or not they're useful <laughs> in viewing a a sequence from the film absolutely uh, so I'll, I'll set this one up so this is uh, towards the end of the film and uh, the character of Eileen who I've, we've discussed already uh, finds herself at Grant Park where police violence towards the demonstrators uh, is growing increasingly intense and she meets uh, the sound man who we're introduced to quite early on in the film and he kind of communicates to, to her uh, I guess like boyfriend by that point um uh john that they should meet up yeah all right 
Um, yeah, so if you were watching that with us, if you had taken a break um, to pause the podcast and watch, wanted to watch that with us, it's around uh, one hour and 44 minutes uh, and then to, to the credits at the end. Um, <laughs> I realize now actually quite a lot happens <laughs> in those in those six minutes and uh, one could go off and in sort of many directions. Um, I quite liked that there's kind of a small touch I only noticed watching this time and that's why we rewatch the sequences the the, the the sun kind of banging on the pane of glass Did you pick up on that one yeah when he a small boy coming home and mm-hmm. they're kind of rhyming with the assault on the camera by the the policeman who come right up to the lens you know and brush against it and um weirdly thinking of persona in that moment Bergman's persona but that's not a helpful comparison what I wanted to say was that that, that this is this is a kind of uh, almost like fantastical idea of the the, the boy trying to uh, com- communicate you know through 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 a television screen or something like that it evoked that image I don't think that's what it's trying to do but the kind of it the direct inter- interaction with um, with with the camera or the lens or, or a pane of glass is something that is is repeated um this 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 idea of uh yeah physical physical reality is important um for the film i suppose it 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 it, it it's bold because it very it very clearly sort of sort of foregrounds the the question of as it were the two plots of the film right the 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 love story between you know John and Eileen and his and his and his sort of successful stepping into uh, you know a fatherly role to the son with the with the question of you know political violence and 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 representation because um, there's the I mean yeah like you say when the boy comes back and that's yeah that's that's really interesting about the pane of glass but also so within the narrative he's run away because he's upset because he sees the two of them kissing or he doesn't quite right he spots them through a win you know and then in fact yeah he's fine you know um and yeah i just don't quite know what i think there's a i think it's quite effect i like the things when you see them in in the car um and there's these sort of reflections so that you know there's a sort of a fairly sort of medium close-up of the of 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 Eileen um but through the windscreen so it sometimes goes almost completely white and you can see it and we're hearing well we think we have all, all already heard as we said before this narration of what are to us their impending deaths but also you're hearing then you hear um uh the uh news newscasters sort of talking about things which we don't see kind kind of you know when things really got extremely violent um uh you know you know in between the police and the protesters obviously the 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 firepower is on the side on you know very much asymmetrical so you hear that and there's her face and her sort of sense of disorientation and sort of she's she's distressed but she's also slightly blank and doesn't quite know what to feel and what she's thinking and i think that sense of sort of is she upset by the news footage has she just seen things that we haven't seen or also or or is she upset because she can't find her son um and how do, how do those two things relate and that's quite in, it's sort of quite bold and quite interesting but then something about their their deaths and then particularly the final gesture of the camera sort of turning towards us i'm not sure that i don't feel it feels like it's meant to have a sort of emotional sort of impact or or a kind of visceral impact about how how you know 
how outraged we should be about these things. Imagine me watching it in 1969 and this has just happened. One argument about of, of the film is very much focused on the violence of the of, of the police against the demonstrators, you know, protesting the uh, war of Vietnam, among other things. And then at that point, the film's uh, kind of rhetoric broadens to violence more generally and how that's 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 treated. Um, I guess this is sort of dealt with earlier because the opening scene is of, of John kind of quite passively taking a photo of, of a car crash, right, for reporting purposes. But the, the argument of the film at that point seems to be more about kind of narrative cinema and, and the kind of... Um, physical symbol of narrative continuity this too shall shall crash (laughs) (laughs) and and uh, but you are asked there i think you are asked there uh to feel with you know the characters perhaps in a way that you might not be you might but be so kind of willing to do because so much of the force of the film comes from the characters in the scenarios rather than the relationship between the characters i know there are kind of little vignettes of them kind of going out and releasing the pigeons and they're the kind of new father stepping into that role but they don't seem sort of strong enough for us to truly feel the force of that point making about how I don't, you know you disagree with me about how hollywood movies should should end you know on a on a romantic note i would have liked i i think i, I can imagine feeling less of the ambivalence i do if the final shot so there is the shot of the of, of of the burning car after they've crashed into the tree and it sort of it sort of it zooms back or 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 is it a crane shot i can't remember anyway it 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 moves back and we see it sort of down this kind of tree-lined um road i think i would have preferred that as an ending i i i, I think maybe i'm specifically reacting to what happens when we see the filmmaker himself and turns the camera on us i feel like yeah we knew that was what was happening you know, thinking about you, you and the film having a relationship, it's like I thought you knew that I knew that, and I trusted and that you trusted me to know that I knew that you, you know, and that I find something of that kind of thing going on here. Yeah, I think another ambivalence is around authorship because the director himself features, and it's it's I'm not yet quite decided whether this is an attempt to, you know, add another viewpoint like we've discussed. There is multiple perspectives. And then the ultimate step is to try and for Waxler to try, because he's also the cinematographer, to try and like remove himself like uh, from that, mm. you know, the 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 um, to to make you question his his control, or whether yes. it's just like a Hitchcock cameo. Maybe maybe there are interesting questions there about as how um, auteurism relates to gender as well, and. Mm. The dominance of the kind of male perspective both in terms of filmmaking and in in film criticism yes but i feel we're running out of time mm. <laughs> yes no well this was was an excellent choice yeah I, I had all sorts of notes of other things that we haven't been able to cover but that just shows that it's a it's a really good film to engage with brilliant well um thank you for listening to episode 17 gosh can't believe it of discursion um do follow us on twitter and this podcast is also available on apple podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thank you.